Well, good morning. Welcome to Central, where we seek transformation through renewal in Christ. Christ who is committed to changing our lives, community, and world. And therefore, that's our vision. So are we. My name is Charles Godwin. I am one of the pastors here. Many of you know I am stepping in this morning for our senior pastor, Clay Smith, who continues to suffer from a 16, 17-day migraine at this point. Please continue to keep him in your prayers. He is getting better, improving, hopes to come home either tomorrow or Monday. Well, we're continuing our At the Table with Jesus series today, looking at another one of Jesus's mealtime interactions with people, and this time it's with a large crowd. Our text includes Jesus performing a miracle Now, aside from the resurrection of Jesus, this passage includes the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. Pastor Clay said when he introduced this series a few weeks ago, at the table with Jesus is where we learn what kind of God we have. And there's a lot for us to learn about him and ourselves this morning in our text. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read the scriptures. Our God, we do pray by your Spirit that you would give us soft hearts. Help us not to harden our hearts and help us to see Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Our text is from John chapter 6. You can find that on pages 891 and 892 of your pew Bible. I'll begin reading in verse 1. I'll read through verse 15 and then skip to verse 24. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their filled, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost." So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then over to verse 24. So when the crowd that that saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on, whoops, sorry. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. I read a story about a famous writer from the early 1900s. His name was William Maugham. He wrote lots of novels, plays, and short stories. He lived into his early 90s. And by then, he was a very wealthy man. As royalties continued to pour in from all over the world, despite the fact that he had not written in a number of years, how do you think he responded to that success? His nephew Robin wrote an article about his uncle after he visited him at his villa on the Mediterranean before his uncle's death. Robin wrote, he looked around at the drawing room. It was filled with this immensely valuable furniture and pictures and objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. He admired the villa itself and the wonderful gardens, the view that was spectacular. It looked out over the Mediterranean. Willie had 11 servants, including his cook, Annette. She was the prized cook and envy of all the millionaires on the Mediterranean. He dined on silver plates, waited on by Marius, his butler, and Henry, his footman. But it no longer meant anything to him. Robin writes, the following afternoon, he found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his glasses at a Bible, which had very large print. He says he looked horribly wizened. His face was grim. Willie said, I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I came across this quotation. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? He continued, I must tell you, Robin, the text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it is a lot of bunk. But the thought is quite interesting all the same. 
Well, that evening after dinner, Robin writes that Willie flung himself down on the sofa. He said, Robin, I'm so tired. He gave a gulp. He placed his head in his hands. He said, I wished I'd never wrote a single word. I've made mistake after mistake. I've made a hash of everything. Robin said, you're the most famous writer alive. Surely that means something. He said, it means nothing. Everyone who knows me well has ended up hating me. My whole life has been a failure, and now it's too late to change. It's just too late. And then Robin said, Willie looked up. He peered across the room. He gripped Robin's hands. He began to shake violently. His face turned ashen, and he shrieked, Go away! I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead, I tell you. His high-pitched, terror-struck voice seemed to echo from wall to wall. Robin said he looked around, but he saw no one. And then he said, Uncle Willie, there's no one here. And Willie began to gasp hysterically. Here we have this famous man. He seemingly had everything. But when he examined his life, he found it empty. He was not filled. He was still hungry, and he was afraid to die. We come to our text today, we see a people who, like mom, they are trying to fill their hunger with bread and signs from Jesus, but they are not satisfied. They, too, are a picture of unbelief for us. And then... There's us here today. We're reading this text. We are hungry, like the people in John's time. And it's not just physical hunger. It's a hunger of the soul. And we too try to fill that hunger with lots of things, don't we? With food, with things, with success in our career, with relationships. And while those things may satisfy for a moment... If we continue on that trajectory, we'll end up just like mom. We, like the people in John's gospel, we can, quote, follow Jesus. Or as one scholar wrote, we can read the creeds and subscribe to the doctrines of God. And yet, when we get into the fray of life, we'll feed on just about anything but Him. And upon self-examination, we realize we've been feeding on things that do not satisfy John wants us to know Jesus, to feed on him. He writes to us to rescue us from the emptiness of life. To us, John brings the words of our Savior, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Friends, because Jesus satisfies the deepest hunger of your souls. Believe in Him. Find your nourishment in Him. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at a brief setting of our text, and then we're going to look at how Jesus cares for us. First, let's look at the setting of our text. So these crowds, they're following Jesus, and they've observed Him perform several signs and miracles. More people are beginning to hear of him. The crowds are getting larger. 
And Jesus is tired and he retires away from them. They keep following him. And we come to our text today. John writes it was a very large crowd. The men alone numbered 5,000. But what that probably means when you add in women, children, servants, it could easily be three to four times larger. Look at the number of people around this room and think 70 times more. It's a crowd that would easily fill the enterprise center to capacity. That's the crowd that Jesus in his power miraculously feeds with five loaves and two fish. And he doesn't just feed them. Their bellies are filled and there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. The followers are physically satisfied. And they're starting to think Jesus is, quote, the prophet spoken of in the Old Testament. Yet what we see is they know in their heads But Jesus points out they do not believe in their hearts. One other thing about the setting of our text, look at verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Jesus sees them coming. They've traveled a long way to find him. And Jesus sees that they are hungry for food. This is a seeing of compassion. It's a seeing to the heart. And Jesus cares for them. So let's look first at how Jesus cares about their physical hunger. And in his caring, he actually feeds them, right? So what might that mean for us? It at least means this. Jesus cares about your physical needs. In his Sermon on the Mount that we read in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient is the day of its own trouble." Jesus cares for people. He feeds them in this text. So what we can believe is he will do the same for you. The care he gives you, it may not be exactly like you want or expect or think you need. But Jesus will do for you what is right and best. And as his ambassadors, that's what we do. That's the type of care 
we give to other people. Also, what we see here is this was not just a little meal, but it comes from little. One writer in application coined that maxim. You know the maxim, little is much when God is in it? The writer goes on to say, sometimes we think, Lord, you don't understand my problem. If only you knew how I feel, how tired I am, and I've calculated it all out. I've thought it all through. I've consulted with the authorities, and there's nothing I can do. And then he says, it's harder to give God our weaknesses than our strengths. If we're eloquent, it's easy to say, God, here's my eloquence. Take and use it. Or if we're good businessmen, we can say, God, you can have my administrative abilities. Use it. But to give God our weaknesses. And when we do, just like Jesus did for his disciples who were tired and weak, he gives us power. He gives us power to love and serve when we feel like we are just flat out of resources. Elizabeth Elliot wrote these words, If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. So in a time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been a great strength for me. Realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus the five loaves and the two fishes with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is none of my business. It's his business. It's his blessing. So this grief, this loss, this suffering, this pain, whatever it is, which at the moment is God's means of testing my faith and bringing me to the recognition of who he is, that's the thing I can offer. In this display of Jesus' power, we see his deep care for people, for the big things and the little things that we need. Meeting needs for us now and by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection, meeting our needs ultimately and completely one day in the new heavens and new earth, where, as we'll sing later in our service, we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He's done great things, we can say together. We will feast and weep no more. Jesus cares for our physical needs, but friends, Jesus knows our real need. It's the spiritual hunger that can only be filled by him. And he cares for that need as well. He knows we are empty. And then he tells us to receive the filling that only he can give. Now note in our text, Jesus asks questions. And then he makes statements to the people to bring them to this place of seeing how they're trying to find their satisfaction in the wrong things. Things they think satisfy, but don't. After feeding the crowd, Jesus draws away again. The people follow him. They want to know why he left. Jesus turns it back on them. And he basically challenges them to think about why are they following him? Why are you following him? Why are you here today? The people want to know what they must do for God. 
Jesus tells them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Then they ask for more signs and they say, well, that's what Moses did for them. Jesus says, Moses didn't send the bread. God did. And then he has them. And they ask for that bread, real bread, bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus knows we are empty spiritually. We are without hope. And then he tells us to receive the hope and satisfaction that only he can give. C.S. Lewis writes, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. Friends, you can have all the food, drink, relationships, things of this world, and they do not, they will not satisfy the hunger of your soul. Only Jesus, the bread of life, satisfies. So what are those things you think will make your hunger go away? If only blank, then I wouldn't be hungry anymore. If only my spouse would change. If only I had a better job. If only I had better health. If only I had more money. If only I had children that were successful. If only I made better grades. If only I was not lonely. If only this certain person would like me. A pastor friend of mine says, we can eat everything but Christ. We can eat our work. We can eat our families. We can eat romance. We can eat disciplines. We can eat success. We can eat exercise. We can eat music. Everything but Christ. And we're just not satisfied. Now we also see here the people, they, they knew the right answers. They saw the signs. They even called Jesus the prophet. And yet Jesus says they did not believe. In our passage, Jesus looks at them and he sees their real need. And he cares for them by exposing their unbelief. They're following him for the wrong reasons. They want him to bless them with signs and miracles. So ask yourself these questions. What do, why do we do what we do with Jesus? Why do we do what we do with Jesus? Why do we follow him? Do we ever just relate to him, talk to him as our God and friend, read his word to know him, enjoy him in worship? Or might it be that we do what we do with Jesus to receive gifts, but not the gift? Maybe it's to receive a certain outcome. Success in the marketplace, good kids, good health, friendships. Jim Montgomery Boyce surmised, it seems to me more and more that they were far less desirous of the age of messianic blessing than they were of a successful outcome to their efforts to manipulate Jesus in doing what they wanted. To them and to us, John says, I didn't come just to give gifts. I am the gift. 
And in that I am statement, Jesus is different from the prophets who say, thus says the Lord. When Jesus says, I am the bread, it carries the weight of speaking for God in the first person. In the Greek, this combination of words, ego and emi, means literally, I am, I am. And from the Old Testament, when it was translated into the Greek, I am who I am, which is the name God. It's the name you see in your Bibles, all caps, L-O-R-D, or Yahweh. Jesus is telling us that he is the giver of eternal life. There is a bread that leads to eternal life, and it's Jesus. And then there are breads, plenty of them, that fail to prevent death. Jesus uses hunger to show us our need for him. You may be here today as one realizing your spiritual hunger and you've never believed. Or maybe you have believed and yet over time in your sin and your brokenness and living in a broken world, you find that you've been trying to fill your spiritual hunger with things that do not satisfy. Or as one pastor said, you've been working hard at Christianity and not wanting him. This is difficult self-examination for all of us to realize when we're not feeding and where we're not feeding on Jesus. The gospel tells us Jesus knows that about you and he died for you anyway. God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus, who lived a perfect life without sin, he took the penalty for our sins and brokenness by dying a sinner's death in our place. He was buried, but then he was powerfully raised from the dead so that we who believe in him are forgiven and we have the hope of being made new and unbroken. It is as the prophet Isaiah writes, by his wounds, we are healed. So whether you're realizing your spiritual hunger today for the first time or just anew, John writes, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Myra Brooks Welch wrote these words in a poem. Some of you may be familiar with them. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while." to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I big, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, now two, only two. Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? 3,000 once and 3,000 twice and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed its worth. The man replied, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man 
with life out of tune, a battered and torn with sin, is auction cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. What makes you worthy today? Friends, it's only Jesus' saving and preserving love for you. Why are you here today? To believe in Jesus as your bread of life and in believing to be satisfied. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to believe and help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, through the word, through worship, and as we come to the sacrament, work in us anew, fix our eyes on Jesus, and help us to believe and have life in him. And we pray in his name. Amen.